We're going to read from verse 17 down through verse 22 uh, out of Ephesians 3. We'll read those verses responsively, meaning we'll read every other verse together out loud, and then every other verse I'll read by myself. And then we'll flip over to Romans 5 and we'll read verse 5 together. I'll begin in 17, we'll begin together in verse 18. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Turn over to Romans chapter 5 and look with me at verse number 5. Can we read that out loud together? Here we go. Ready? And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We're going to begin a new series of sermons uh, this morning entitled this, Producing Through the Spirit. Producing Through the Spirit. And today we're going to look at this topic, Developing the Fruit of God's Love. Developing the fruit of God's love. Loving the way God intended us to love. This is a, uh, this is a very uh, long, complex topic. And one sermon can't wrap it all up. But we're going to just, we're going to hit the high points of it. And then ask God to teach us as we go throughout the week. I would encourage you to do a deep biblical study on this. I hope today will whet your appetite for that. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we ask that you would... Help us in our time this morning to stay focused, laser focused, and to get from your word, Lord, exactly what you would have us to get. We're thankful that you love us. Your love toward us is unconditional. We don't have to somehow earn your love or gain your favor. You love us because it's your nature to do so. And so, Lord, as we focus in on your love today and then try to figure out how to love others the same way that you love us, May, Lord, you show us and reveal to us areas where we fall short. And then, Lord, may we leave here with the intent and uh, leaning on you to do better in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We have the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today, and I am going to be mindful of that and try to get you out out of here at the same time uh, or around the same time that we usually do. All year long, we have been preparing for this series of sermons. All year long, the preaching has been meant to gear up toward this. We've been climbing up a mountain, if you will, and this series is sort of what's meant to be at the top of the mountain. We have been preparing our hearts and lives so that we can abound with fruit for our Savior. Now, we've looked at these sermon series year to date. Preparing the soil, planting the seed, and protecting the sprout. And so all of that has been with the intent of helping us to have fruit on the tree of our life, spiritual fruit on the tree of our life, that will grow and be in abundance and will last a lifetime. 
We've referred back to it all year, but Psalm 1 talks about that tree, that spiritual tree that is planted by the river of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. And so, how do you bring forth that fruit? How do you have that leaf that does not wither? And whatsoever that you do shall prosper, as Psalm 1 continues. How is it that we get there? Well, we've looked at uh, uh, all of those series of preparing the seed, and plant, uh, rather preparing the soil, planting the seed, and protecting the sprout, uh, so that we can begin to talk about what spiritual fruit looks like. There are two types of fruit that the Christian should bear. And I'm going to give these to you. If you can find a place to write these down, I would encourage you to do that. The first one is the fruit of God's Spirit. The fruit of God's Spirit. We sang about it earlier this year when we sang the Scripture passage, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such... There is no law. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to focus in on those nine fruits of the Spirit, and we're going to look at each one and how they are brought about and cultivated and developed into the heart of the Christian. So there's the fruit of God's Spirit. The second type of fruit in the Christian's life or that ought to show up on the tree of our life is the fruit of a godly saint. The fruit of a godly saint. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. If you know it, feel free to say it with me. The, uh, the, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. What does it mean to win a soul? That means to persuade someone. To persuade someone deep all the way down on the level of their soul. What is your soul? It is your mind. It is your heart. Uh, it is your emotions. It is that uh, thing inside of you that connects to God, that spiritual being within you. And the Bible says, he that winneth or persuadeth or convinceth someone down to the soul level, they are wise. It takes a wise person to do that. Now, the beginning of the verse, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Uh, uh, what is it that you find when you cut open an apple? You find apple seeds, apple seeds. In, in an orange, you find orange seeds. And uh, um, uh, let's see, in my house, I think the favorite fruit is uh, pomegranate. And even pomegranates have seeds. They like to you know, I'm going to tell you why my kids like pomegranate. Because they, they, they drizzle sugar all over the top of it. And they're really just eating the sugar. All right? and, but that's when Angela's not around. When Angela's around, there's no sugar. That's just because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the fun parent. And she's the, she's the one that you know, toes the line with that health stuff. Amen. Uh, but, uh, but inside of all the fruit, there are seeds. And what do seeds do? They reproduce. And that's what a Christian is supposed to do. A godly saint that is producing fruit is reproducing himself or herself in other Christians. And so uh, this leaves us uh, uh, with uh, this leaves us with two sermon series left for the year. Again, we went out to uh, a spiritual field and we prepared the soil of your heart. And then we looked at the right seeds that need to go down. And then we talked about as that sprout or that branch or that uh, little tree comes up, protecting that and, and cleaning that and pruning it and purging around it. And now we're going to talk about going out at harvest time 
and gathering together. So that leaves us with two sermon series left. We're going to look at producing through the Spirit. Over the next three months or so, we'll be looking at the nine fruits that the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us desires to bear in our life. We will take them one at a time and talk about what it means to bring these fruits as we mature as a Christian. You know what the temptation for me is? is just to preach nine generic sermons on love and joy and peace. I'm not going to do that. Beginning with today's sermon, we're going to look at love. Here's how we're going to handle this series. We're going to look at the process of going from the wrong kind of love to turning our hearts over to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit's version of love be birthed in our life. And that fruit matures and grows and becomes exactly what it is that the husbandman, God the Father, expects on our life. We're not just going to do that with love. We're going to do that with joy. Some of you in here are not very joyous. You're a bunch of grouches. You have a complaining spirit. Well, next week, we're going to look at what it means to go from being a complainer, a negative Nancy, or negative Neil, depending on your gender. And we're going to take you from there and show you what it means to move through the stages of developing that joyous spirit within you. And then peace. And we'll go through all nine, one at a time, and look at what that means to have the Holy Spirit transform your emotions into who He wants you to be. Producing through the Spirit. The last sermon series of the year will be preached on Sunday evenings. And it will be titled, Persuading for the Savior. That's winning souls. Convincing people on a soul level. Beginning in September. The second Sunday evening in September. We're going to talk about what it means to take someone who is your family member or a coworker or a neighbor. And they don't believe in Jesus as the only way to heaven. How is it that you convince them that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How do you convince them to put their faith and trust in Jesus? That is a daunting and scary task for a lot of Christians who've never done it. And it can be scary even for me when I get around family and uh, that's lost and I, and I don't want to make them think I'm weird or funny or strange. I don't want to push them away. And so there, there are those concerns. But we're going to spend time to not only talk about how to lead someone to Christ, but how to uh, walk them down the road to get them baptized and, and how to begin to help them develop and grow in their new faith in relationship with Jesus Christ and how to set aside religion, which is just a set of rituals, and rather cling to a relationship in Jesus. And so on Sunday evenings, we're going to look at persuading for the Savior beginning in September and continue through a good chunk of the rest of the year. Now, uh, do you have your Bibles to Romans chapter 5? Can you look at verse 5 with me? This morning, we're going to look at that first fruit that the Holy Spirit desires to grow and, and see developed in our life over the longevity of our Christian life. Look at verse number 5 with me, Romans 5. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By who? By the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. You know what the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants like a light on a dark night. He wants to shine abroad, shed abroad, cast forth love from you on to the world around you. He wants to use you to share his love with a world that has forgotten and lost its way in how to love. This world has no idea how to love. Many Christians do not know how to love. And in fact, it takes many years 
of the Lord working on us to teach us how to love the unlovable, how to love those who aren't lovable. Again, Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the saint, the fruit of the Spirit that dwells within a Christian is first, love. It's love. That one's at the top of the list for a good reason. And we're going to look at that one today in great detail. I propose that the trademark of the Christian is love. The trademark, the identifier of the Christian is love. If I walk into a McDonald's in Seattle, Washington, and I walk into a McDonald's in uh, uh, Miami, Florida, or I walk into a McDonald's in Hong Kong, China, I ought to be able to order a Big Mac and it ought to taste exactly the same. I ought to be able to meet a Christian in Hong Kong, or in Seattle, or in Miami, or in Stratford, or in your home, and I ought to be able to tell that they are a Christian regardless of all the other cultural differences based on how well they love and how they love. That is the trademark of a Christian. Love. First John tells us that God is love. He has commanded each of us to walk in that love. We have been commanded to love everyone. Yes. Everyone. Even that person that you don't want to love. If you were sitting in a room, a small room, is there a person that could walk in that room that would just make your blood boil? And make you want to get up and leave right away? You've been commanded to love them too. You say, oh, I can't love them. God has commanded us to love everyone. We're going to look at that here in a moment. For a Christian to refuse to love, even the hardest of cases, is a refusal to embrace the calling God has given you. Learning to love God's way is a process that is perfected over the duration of a long time. It is not where we begin. It is not natural. It is not uh, what we our flesh desires, but it is what we are commanded to develop in our life over uh, a lifetime. It requires the denial of our fleshly desires, and it requires an embrace to submitting to God's Spirit and giving Him the lead in these areas. Let's look at three main thoughts this morning as we consider this topic of developing the fruit of God's love. Point number one of the message this morning, I would encourage you to use the back of your bulletin, fill in the blanks as we go, make notes on the side where you can. Number one, God's plan for love. God's plan for love. Letter A, let's jump right into it here. His character is to love. His character is to love. Turn over to 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John 4. By the way, we began in Ephesians this morning. Uh, Ephesians 3, while you turn over to 1 John 4. And let me read for you again, verse 17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted, rooted in Christ, right? Christ dwell in your hearts, rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. It is the character of God to love. 1 John Chapter number 4, and verse number 16, says this. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. God is love. 
And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. It is the character of God to love. It is the character of God to love the lovable. It is the character of God to love the unlovable. It is the character of God to love those that treat Him uh, uh, with worship and respect and follow all of His commandments or at least make a strong effort to. And it is the character of God to love the blasphemous, hateful, uh, uh, denying atheist. God is love. And while God is also justice and He's a perfect balance of love and justice, mercy and truth, grace and truth, He also is, you cannot forget that God God is love, and it is His character to love. Let me say this morning that uh, God loves everyone. You say, well, if God loves everyone, then why is there a place called hell? If God loves everyone, then why did God create hell? God created hell because there are those who God loves and who God will love for their entire lifetime who will flat out reject the love of God and the greatest gift that God could have given through His love. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Let me, let me just say that there was a person in your life that you loved dearly who committed an awful crime, a heinous crime that put them on death row. And in this particular country that you lived in, the laws of the book stated that if you so loved a person on death row, you could go and you could take their place and you could die for them and they could walk free. And you were to go and you were to take their place and you were to die for them and they were to walk out of prison and then cuss your name and criticize your name and put down your name and reject your name and want nothing to do with your name. Maybe perhaps you had a son who went and stood in the place of the one worthy of death and he died for that loved one of yours and that person then disowns you and does everything they can to have nothing to do with you. Uh, That love that was given, that love that was shown would have been out and out rejected. Oh my You would want a person like that to be punished for a long time. My friend, God sent Jesus to the earth because God loved you. And He allowed Jesus to die on the cross and to go through hell punishment in your place. The Bible tells us He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He in essence looked at your filthy uh, rags, your sinful rags, and He said, I want to give you my robe of righteousness and take Take on your filthy rags. I will go to the cross. I will die on the cross for you. I will become every lie you've ever told. I will become every sin you've ever committed. I will become the shame and the guilt and everything wrong with the world. And I will die for that on the cross because I love you and I want to provide for you a way to heaven. And there are people who thumb their nose at that and reject it and call the Bible's way to heaven bigoted and narrow-minded. And God sits in heaven and says, I gave you a chance to have your soul redeemed. You went through your entire life and you rejected my love I had for you. And at the end of the day, if you're going to reject my love, then I'm going to reject you. Why does God send people to hell? God only sends those to hell who reject His love. But that does not mean God does not love you. His character is the love. He loves so much, the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish. That's what we deserve for our sin. But that all should come to repentance. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved mankind, the cosmos, that He gave His only begotten Son. How much would you have to love someone to send your only begotten Son to die in their place? My friend, that's what Jesus did for you. His character is to love. Let her be. Notice, 
Our command is to love. Look back at First John chapter 4 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. We are commanded to love. Now, I'm going to just list these off for you. And the purpose of what's about to come up on the screen is meant to be information overload for the purpose of making a point. I want to show you how we are commanded to love categorically. Now, I didn't have enough room to get all this on the back of that uh, that um, uh, bulletin there. So, uh, just sit back and just take this into your eye lobes. I wouldn't worry about trying to write all this down, alright? First of all, notice we are to love God. We are to love God. There are all the verses in the Bible that command us to love God. Um, uh, We are to love our neighbor. We are to love our neighbor. Throw that one up there for me, guys. All the verses in the Bible that command us to love our neighbor. We are to love our spouse. Those of you married here today, uh, Titus 2.4 tells the ladies they're to love their husbands. Colossians 3.19, Ephesians 5.25-33 emphasize the fact that husbands are to love their wives. And so we are to love our spouse. Now notice how many verses in the Bible talk about loving other Christians or loving the brethren. Throw that one up there for me. Love the brethren. Those are all the verses in the Bible that talk about how we are to love each other. Someone is saved. Someone's put their faith and trust in Christ. They've been adopted into the family of God. Are you tracking with me this morning? I mean, adopted into the family of God. Alright, that means that, that God is their father. If you've been adopted into the family of God, that means God is your father. You know what that means? That means this guy down here on the, uh, on the third row who played the guitar this morning, Benigno Salinas, if he's the child of God and I'm the child of God, that means he's my brother in, in, the, in the Lord. And Miss Carla Segrew right here, if she's accepted Christ, as I'm sure she has, she's my sister in the Lord. And you know what that makes us? That makes us brothers through the person of Jesus Christ. And if I don't love all of those people who put their faith and trust in Christ, regardless of how they treat me, regardless of how they behave, regardless of whether or not I like the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they hold their jaw, the way they shop, the way they uh, behave, regardless of whether or not they get on my nerves or their personality clashes with mine, I have been commanded to love the brethren. And there is an abundance of verses that say that. We are to not only love the brethren, we are to, and this is the tough one, everybody swallow real hard, ready? We are to love our enemies. We are to love our enemies. Now, we're commanded to love. It's God's character to love, and God says, if you're going to be mine, you're going to look like me, then you need to behave like me. How many of you here, how many of you men here have a son? Would you raise your hand? You men here have a son. How many ladies here have a daughter? Would you ladies that have a daughter raise your hand? Have you learned that men, if you're a dad that's involved in your children's lives, maybe some of you men are older, you have grandchildren, you spend a lot of time with, have you noticed how they begin to look and talk and act like you? Now, as they get older, that changes. But say a child 10 and under, boy, he really looks, talks, and acts like dad. Girls, ladies, your daughters, under the age of 10 especially, they look, they talk, they act like you. Sometimes to a place where it is annoying. Right? You begin to see your own character flaws in them. And you're like, oh, man, that's what I look like. That's how, that's how I behave. I've mentioned this one before. I have some mannerisms that I inherited from my father. When my dad would do it, I would roll my eyes. Not where he could see me, because I was scared of him. But I would roll my eyes, 
And I think I'm never going to do that. And this is something really goofy, but, you know, when my dad's listening to the radio in the car, most people reach up and they adjust the volume knob with their thumb and their, their index finger. He uses his middle finger and his index finger, and he does this. One day I'm riding down the road, and I caught myself adjusting the volume, and I said, I'm becoming my dad. <laughs> now, we are to be like our Father in heaven. And you know what God does? He loves and He loves and He loves and He loves and He loves. Aren't you glad God loves you even when you're not acting very well? You have a bad day and maybe a bad month or even a bad year or a bad decade of life and you're running from Him and there's not a whole lot about you that's, that's, that's godly. In fact, you're not even trying to be godly and God just says, I'm just going to keep on loving Him. Even when He chastens us, the Bible says, He chastens or punishes or corrects us out of love. And then He says, you want to look like your father? You need to walk in love. Letter A, God's character is love. Letter B, our command is to love. Letter C, our comprehension of love. I need to move quickly here. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 2. I'm going to begin reading. We still have a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time. You can catch up with me when you get there. It says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. There are different variations or versions, or rather perversions of love that are out there. So, uh, uh, we are to love not the way that our flesh desires, because what our flesh wants to do is wrong. We are to love God's way. We are to love with that same love, that sacrificial love. And two thoughts below that. Love is divine. Love is divine. I'm not going to take the time to cover these this morning, but Romans 5, 1 through 10, shows us the type of sacrificial love that God gave. Uh, uh, maybe another verse you could have I could have put down next to that would be John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, then a man laid down his life for his friend, much to the uh, a lesser degree that a military man signs up, volunteers to go into the military, heads over to the battlefield uh, to fight in a war to protect his country or his country's interest, or uh, to take the war to the bad guys on the other side uh, of the pond there. And that, that young man or young lady dies in warfare, takes one for the team, takes a bullet for the team. They give up their life so that their country can keep, keep going forward. God gave up His love through His Son Jesus on the cross and He continues to show us that love every day. This is the type of love that we are to study, that we are to mentally grab hold of, that's to trickle down into our heart and then begin to affect our emotions and the Spirit of God wants to do that. Love is divine. Love is deferential. Love is deferential. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 7. Again, I don't have the time this morning to go and do a, we could do a whole month or two series just out of here. In fact, I did one several years ago, but 1 Corinthians 13, charity is a version of love. It's a compassionate, heartfelt, pity version of love, but the Bible tells us charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Charity, what does it do? It, it hopeth all things, it beareth all things, it believeth all things. Verse 8 tells us charity never faileth. It doesn't fail. It doesn't fall short if, if it's done the right way. Why? Because love is deferential. Love is not looking out for my interests. Love is looking out for the interests of others. Love is not being friendly to someone so what I can get out of them. 
You know, oftentimes, can I tell you how I have behaved in my life is I'm really friendly to people when I need to get something out of them. Now, don't give me a pious look because we all do it. You're really friendly to that, that uh, insurance salesman you have on the phone. Look, we all know why you're being friendly to them. You want to get a better rate. Right? You, you, you be friendly to uh, your waiter at the restaurant because you're hoping they give you an extra helping of, of mashed potatoes on your plate. Or a little bit extra, maybe a larger slice of, of cheesecake for dessert. Right? Some of you are going to be really kind to those making the, the pies tonight because you want them to make one specially for you to take home. And uh, we, we, we're, we're selfish in our love. And the Bible says that God's love is never looking out for His own interests. It's always looking out for the interests of others. In fact, love is vulnerable. Love has, at times, people are going to take advantage of you and walk all over you because you are deferential in your love the way that God is. Love is deferential. So, we see our comprehension of God's Love. Let's move on. We looked at number one, God's plan for love. Quickly, number two, notice a Satan's perversion of love. Satan's perversion of love. The truth is, we need to take just a moment and we need to see how that what we have around us in the world today, and oftentimes, even in our practices of loving others, it, it is it is perverted, it is twisted, it is wrong. Go over with me to Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 12. Now, in Matthew 24, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, how are things going to be in the end times or in the last days? And a lot of people are interested in eschatology or the study of the end times, as, as, as well as on some level I am, although I'm probably not as interested in it as many other Christians are. But the, the disciples were very curious about how things would play out in the last days. And so, Jesus uh, uh, takes chapter 24 and 25 and talks about that. Look down at verse number 12 and we see a characteristic of people in the last days. Look here, it says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, I looked up that word iniquity. That word iniquity means lawlessness. Lawlessness shall abound. Um, Somewhere, I, I probably should say this right here. Just because it's okay by the nation's laws does not make it okay by God's law. There are all sorts of laws on the books that allow all sorts of behavior in this country that breaks the law of God. And you know what? You may be well inside the confines of the United States law and be well outside the confines of God's law. Why do we have laws? Now, lawlessness is saying, I know what's better than someone who, who, who made those laws. Teenagers who are rebellious at home, they think they know better than mom and dad, and they don't think the rule is reasonable, so they just break it, and they walk all over that, and they're lawless in their behavior. Well, how about when we walk outside of the confines of God's Word? A whole lot of people say, well, the Bible's just a book of thou shalt's and thou shalt nots, and it just stymies fun, it ruins fun, it takes it all away, and, 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 and it's just well, rules, rules, rules. Do you know that God created you, and He created the, the laws that are in the Bible, and He created them out of love to protect you and for your best interest. And when you walk all over those, you walk outside of those boundaries, the Bible says that your love or the love, divine love, will wax cold. It will dry up. Picture that love fruit on the tree. 
and it shrivels up into nothingness. I remember when I was a teenager, I worked on a fruit farm, Reeves Peach Farm in Hartsell, Alabama. You can even, not right now, but you can even Google it on Google Earth and find it and see where, uh, where I used to work. Uh, don't do that now. Amen. Um, some of you are on your phones, you ought to put your phones away. Amen. I don't know who it is. Put them away and listen. Uh, but um, we would pick tomatoes, and I hate tomatoes. I talked about that earlier, and I know that's not a popular thing to say with a bunch of Italians because you love your tomatoes. Amen? Uh, but um, uh, I, I was out in the field and following the orders and picking tomatoes, and you'd see on this plant this beautiful tomato. I mean, it was, it was perfect. And then you'd reach up to grab it, and on the back end of the tomato, it was completely rotted out. And I'd reach up to grab it, and this fermented tomato... With this beautiful facade, you'd pull it down and juice would just run down my arm. And, as, and this might be part of the reason why I don't like tomatoes this day. But it stunk. And a shower didn't quickly get it off, especially after working in the field all day. And you look like you love on the outside, but you have a perverted version of it on the inside. Let me give you the definition of perversion. To turn from truth, propriety, or from its proper purpose, to distort you ever, try, you ever try to use a screwdriver as a hammer? Doesn't work real well, does it? And uh, that's perverting the use of the screwdriver. Um, a lot of people have just perverted. They twisted. They have made love that God created and gave to us. They use it for all the wrong ways. They have perverted it. Quickly, in A, B, and a C here, notice letter A Love becomes secular. Love becomes secular. If you take the God who created love or the author of love away from love, you have begun the process of of ruining what love is. Turn over to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1 this morning. I hope that the message this morning answers a lot of questions that are looming in our culture. And a lot of you don't know what to do with the sexual revolution that's running rampant in our country. And I believe that uh, we, if we can get back to a, de- a biblical definition and understanding of what love is, it will do a few things for us. One, it will create a heart of compassion for those who are on the opposite end or the wrong side of, uh, of Bible. It will create a heart of compassion uh, for us. And two, it will help us to see how people get there. Look at Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 19. It says, because that uh, uh, which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, but understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, and remember, God is love, they glorified Him not as God. They did not put Him up on the pedestal He deserved to be on. Neither were thankful, uh, uh, but became vain in their imaginations, and their Foolish heart was darkened. The heart is the center of love, where we get God's love and then we give God's love. What happens? Love becomes secular. Now, we're going to look at the most, some of the most extreme cases of love being perverted. But let me just say this morning to all of us in the room, me included, is that all of us on some level have a perverted version of love that we live by. And we need to fall on our face and ask God to bring about a love that is perfect and pure and biblical and godly, that we back up to God, we channel to Him and let His love run through us and onto the world around us. 
Love becomes secular. Hey, this morning, has your love become secular? Are you only loving the way that your parents loved you or the way that the world around you has molded you and taught you? Or are you learning how to love from God? Love becomes secular. Letter B, love becomes selfish. Look at verse number 22. Love becomes selfish. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Do you know why they began to worship the creation above the Creator? And they threw, tossed the Creator out of the picture? Because they became very selfish. Now, I do believe that this point of the message I'm making right here is probably the point of the message where the Holy Spirit probably ought to step on your toes the hardest. Do you know when I have a fight with my wife, not a physical fight, a verbal spat, do you know why? It's because my love is selfish. I love me more than I love our marriage and her. Do you know that uh, uh, when I am treating people a certain way to get something out of them, and my motives are wrong, do you know why I do that? Because my love is selfish. Can I tell you who you probably love more than anyone else in the whole entire world this morning? You love yourself. You look out for number one. And because of that, every problem in your life stems from your inability to love God and love others more than you love yourself. Love becomes selfish. Now, you may not be the, the, the character in Romans 1. You may be. I, I'm not here to preach against you. I'm here to, to preach at all of us this morning. We're selfish in our love. We do what's convenient for us. We do what's best for us. 2 Timothy 3.2 talks about those in the last days. It says they shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. Do you know why it is you can't be faithful to church, Christian? Because you love yourself more than you love God. You say, oh, I got this and I got that. No, you love yourself more than you love God. Do you know why it is that you are hard to get along with? Because you love yourself more than you love God. And you're worried more about worshiping the ground that you walk on than you are worshiping the God who created the ground you walk on. Love becomes selfish. Letter C. Notice, love becomes sensual. Love becomes sensual. Look down at Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the, cre- the creature more than the Creator. That right there means they're loving, the- they're worshipping themselves more than they're worshipping God, who is blessed forever. Amen. And this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even the woman did, uh, women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, uh, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heirs, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind and to do that which was 
not convenient. Where do we get a world that is so twisted in its love? Where do we get a world where people uh, are uh, men are loving on men in a, in, a, in a romantic way and women are loving on women in a romantic way? How do we get so far away from God's intent of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Steve in 2019? How did we get from over there to over here? It was a long, gradual process where we stopped loving God the way God intended and we began to love ourselves. And over generations of time, we've gotten our country to where it is today. For decades, decades, Hollywood has been making love all about the bedroom. It's all about the bedroom. And it started with, it started with putting a bedroom scene of a husband and wife. And then it began to glorify and glamorize a bedroom scene between two, a man and a woman who weren't married. And then it began to be in every other movie that came out. Listen, I am shocked how many bedroom scenes are worked into movies that have no right to put them in there. Have nothing to do with the plot. And not that I watch them, but boy, I sure hear about it. And now today, we've gotten to a place where we have laughed and found funny homosexuality. And now we have accepted it as commonplace in our society. What happens when you take culture and you dip it in sexuality and call that love? What happens when you do that for 50 or 60 years? You get some weird, strange things that are pushed on you as normal. And I just have to say that for 6,000 years of humanity, marriage has been between a husband and a wife. And God is not going to change his mind just because some elites tell us to. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and you're mean to them. You, you show them the love of Christ. That's the answer. Love becomes sensual. Love becomes selfish. Satan's perversion of love. Number three, let's finish with this. The Christian's progression in love. Christian's progression uh, in love. I want to bring the sermon to a climax right here. And I want everyone here to have, that hasn't already, to have that aha moment where you see the fruit of the Spirit developing in you. I talked to my wife about this this week, and I talked to Brother Eric, who was here doing some remodeling in the church. By the way, if you don't like the remodeling, it's not Brother Eric's fault, nor is it Brother Vars' fault. You can come talk to me, all right? Leave them alone. They're just doing what we're paying them to do. And come and love on me, amen? Okay. The Christian's progression in love. I was talking to Brother Eric this morning as he was getting ready to work. Talked to my wife about that uh, this this morning, and I asked him this question. So I'll ask you the same question: Are you able to see how God has been changing your heart, Christian, to love people more today than you could when you first got saved? Is there the ability to love the unlovable a little bit more now than there used to be? Can you think of people who have not been very kind to you in the last year? who you took their unkindness and you turned around and you loved them back. That is the progression of the fruit of the spirit of love in your life. It's not throwing a stone for a stone. It's not taking a tooth for a tooth. It's loving the unlovable. If you are walking around treating people who mistreat you with hatred and a cold shoulder, my friend, you are not manifesting the love of Christ in your life. And you saw all those verses I put on the screen a few minutes ago. There are way more verses in the Bible about loving the brethren 
than there are about loving anybody else. If they are your brother and sister in Christ, and you have a problem with them, it is on you to go get that thing fixed. You live peaceably with them. The Christian's progression in love. Let me give you a letter A and a B here. We're almost done. Letter A, notice, our commitment to love. Our commitment to love. I want you to imagine, put that next slide up there for me. I want you to imagine you're standing at the base of a staircase. And with each step, you step up, God puts in front of you another step that as a Christian, you need to learn. And as you submit to the Spirit of God, you progress up the staircase. Now, at any point, we can fall off the staircase and we have to start over. And I have to tell you, I've stood on the top step, but I've been knocked back down to the ground and had to start all over more than once. All right? What are those steps? One at a time, we step up the step, a staircase. Notice step number one is to love God. Love God. Because of time, I'm not going to turn to the passages, the verses. But you know what Luke 10:27 tells us? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Not with some of it. With all thy heart. With all thy soul. With all thy mind and with all thy strength. 1 John 4:19. We looked at it already once this morning. It commands us to love God. You know what? If you tell me to go eat ice cream, you, you tell me hardly to go eat ice cream. You know what I say? All right, I'm all over it. No problem there. You wake me up at 2 in the morning tell me to eat ice cream, I probably wouldn't have a problem doing it. You know what's easy to do? It's easy to love somebody who loves you. Nobody loves you more than God does. He loved you so much, we were talking about earlier, He killed His Son on the cross to save your sorry, pathetic soul and my sorry, pathetic soul. And if He has saved you, boy, you ought to be able to go right back to the cross and love your God. And not just love Him a little bit, not just love Him uh, in some small amount, to love Him with all your heart. Boy, you get that one down and God brings you to step number two. Love my family. Love my family. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's a profound love. Now, I, I gave Brother Joe the wrong reference to put on the screen. It should be Ephesians 6.4, not Ephesians 6.1 and 2. But Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, and that word fathers uh, uh, comes from the, the root word that means parents. Fathers or parents, provoke not your children to wrath, but, however, bring them up in the nurture, that's the love, and admiration, that's correction, of the Lord. So you're to love your family. After you learn how uh, to love God, God says, okay, uh, the very first people I want you to turn around and love is, men, I want you to love your wife. And you say, well, she's not real lovable. Well, go love her anyway. Maybe if you'd start being nicer to her, she'd be a little easier to love. Maybe if you'd start treating her like you love her, she'd start acting a little more lovely. You say, well, my kids just aren't real well behaved. Well, come in to the pastor's office or go see one of the other seasoned men in the church that have raised their kids to be godly folks, the Vars, the Owens, the Segrews, and go ask them for some uh, parenting advice and go forth and do it. And you know what? Go love your kids and God will teach you how to love your family. You say, well, I don't have any kids and I don't have a spouse. Well, go love your parents. Honor them in their old age. Honor them in years. You say, well, my mom and dad aren't real lovable. Well, listen, take it as a challenge and channel up to God. God's love and go love your family. You know why? Because God is love. And if we're to carry forth that trademark, we're to love God and love our family. Next, number three, we're step three, we're to love the brethren. 
We're to love the brethren. When I say brethren, I mean those, as I explained earlier, who have put their faith and trust in Christ to save them. Some of you aren't so easy to love. Some of us, let me add myself in there, are not so easy to love. Some of you out there have an easier time loving me than others. Some of you out there uh, have had different experiences with me than others. Some of you out there, I've had different experiences with you than others. But can I tell you, none of that matters. We are to love people not... We're not to, we're not to love people uh, uh, depending on how they treat us. We're to love people regardless of how they treat us. You know, if someone's mistreating you, they probably need God to love use you to love them through it. Love the brethren. Um, you know, the Bible has a lot of strong things in 1 John 4 to say. Uh, let me tell you what it says. If you're not loving someone who claims to be saved, the Bible basically tells you that you need to question your own salvation. You're supposed to question whether or not you're even really saved. Because no child of mine behaves that way. Love the brethren. You say, well, they're not nice to me. Love them through it. We're progressing up the stairs. It's a lot easier to love your family than it is the brethren. It's a lot easier to love God than it is your family. You learn how to love God. Then you learn how to love your family because you're loving God. And then you learn how to love the brethren. Number four, love my neighbor. Love my neighbor. This week I sat down with a church member and he told me all about his cantankerous neighbor. Grass clippings got blown onto their sidewalk by the wind and they got cussed out over grass clippings. And they had to love their neighbor through that. Um, uh, you know what that, you know what they did? They went, they baked banana bread and they went over and they knocked on the door and they said, listen, we've been neighbors for 30 years and I don't know what the other day was all about, but I'm just going to assume you had a bad day and I want you to know there's no ill will between us and, and here's some, here's a peace offering, if you will, and, and let's continue what we've had for 30 years. And the person refused it. So he kept on talking and finally the person reluctantly received it. You know what that is? That's loving your neighbor, even when your neighbor isn't lovable. And you may be like the lawyer and say, well, who's my neighbor? And I would tell you, go back and read the story of the Good Samaritan. Loving your neighbor. Number, uh, step number five. Love my enemies. That's the hardest one, isn't it? Let's finish the sermon in Luke chapter six. Turn over there with me. We'll, we'll read this. I'll make one or two comments and we'll close. Luke chapter six. There was a time in my life where I was being greatly mistreated by somebody. I mean, horribly mistreated by somebody. And I read Matthew 5.44, which is a parallel passage to this. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and a little bit of anger flared in my heart. And I said, God, I can't love these people. How am I supposed to rejoice and be exceeding glad when I'm persecuted? What? No, when I'm persecuted, I'm not rejoicing. I'm upset. How many are with me on that? I'm not, I'm not jumping up and saying, woohoo! I'm being mistreated! Yes! That's not natural. You know what? The Bible says that as the fruit of the Spirit is developed in your life, people hand you pain and you hand them back love. Look at Luke 6, 27. In verse number, we'll read down through verse 35. It says, But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, 
offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, or your coat, forbid, uh, forbid him not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy good goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, this is where we get the golden rule, do ye also to them likewise, for if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners uh, to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. You know what the Bible says here? When someone is nasty toward you, deny what your flesh wants to do and allow the Spirit of God to manifest forth that fruit of love and you love on them. You heap those hot coals of kindness on top of their head. Now, Christian, are you there? Have you made it to step five? Are you good at taking... Pain and giving back love. Where are you on that? Give me the last slide. Where are you on the staircase? Some of you are still just working on loving God. Your, your love toward your family isn't pure because you haven't learned love from God yet. Much less the rest of the steps. We must learn love from God. And that fruit must be produced on the tree of our life. Letter B, lastly, notice our capacity to love. The longer that I'm a Christian and the more I understand the truth of God's word, the greater my capacity to love other people becomes. Some of you here today and you don't know how to love. Your love is secular, it's selfish, and it's sensual. God says, give me your love or your your perverted version of it. And let me give you my love to love the world around you. Some of you here today are loving with the right love, but the capacity is small. God will grow that capacity with time, if you'll allow Him. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to take the message that's been preached. So much of the world around us is broken. Our idea of love comes from a broken world. Lord, you want to produce the fruit of love on the tree of our hearts, our lives. And really, honestly, it just comes down to submitting not, not doing what we want, but what you want. And so, God, will you work in our midst today? Would you break a cold heart, a heart that's waxed cold? And, Lord, would you help us to come to you and learn that love? In Jesus' name, amen.